Very good. Turn, if you would, tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Hope you've had a good week this week. If it's been rough so far, I hope the back end gets better than the front end. If the front end's been good, I hope the back end stays good. How about that? All right? And if you have no chance of a good week, then just get through it, all right? And uh, we'll see you Sunday. How about that? Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight, and Lord, I know that for some it has been a rough week already. I know that for some they've dealt with frustrations, they've dealt with uh, just different sources of irritation. I know that tonight they may even have some of those things on their mind still. They may be thinking about what's going to be happening tomorrow. Lord, it could be any number of things that would be on the heart and mind of your people tonight, and it's understandable. I, I, I do understand that, but I pray that in these next few moments... God, you'd help us to put all that aside, that you'd help us to just give attention to your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd use it uh, just to help us tonight to be reminded of some things we know but uh, may need to put into practice at some point in the future. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. I think most of you know a couple of weeks ago we began looking at chapter 7 here. And we know from verse number 1 that uh, Paul was responding to some questions that obviously the believers in Corinth had conveyed to him in one way or another. And so very quickly, I just want to remind us of what's been addressed so far in chapter 7. Uh, I'm not going to review every week what's been dealt with because it's a long chapter, but all this flows and goes together, and so I want us to be mindful of all this. It'll be somewhat out of order because I think it'll help us remember it maybe a little bit better. But basically, he began by saying this, that it is never right for a couple to live together outside of marriage. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter what the excuses are. It doesn't matter what the justification may be. It is always wrong for a Christian to live with someone else outside of marriage in, in a marital-type relationship. Paul went on to say in chapter 7, that he would encourage personally people to take the same approach to life as he had, that being a single individual, but he also understood that not everyone was called to live that kind of life. And so he said, you need to get married rather than to burn with lust and to burn with desire. And so there was that encouragement to marry if you cannot contain and if you cannot refrain uh, in this single life that you're in. And then after that, we watched as Paul made this clear, that it is God's plan for one man and one woman to be married forever. We also understand that that's not how it always works. And so sometimes there is divorce and there is remarriage. And the point of the sermon last week was not to beat anyone up. It was just to remind us that who we are married to right now, that is God's plan for us to be married to them till death do us part. And I encouraged us last week, to not only be married and endure the marriage, but, in, but to enjoy the marriage. Because so many people who are married, they don't enjoy the marriage that they are a part of. And so we need to enjoy the marriage that God has given us. And then to go back to the original or the, or the first message, I simply reminded us from the scripture that in a marriage there are physical needs, there are desires that need to be met by the spouse and no one else. And if we're not meeting those needs of our spouse, then we are living in disobedience to God's word. 
and there will be consequence if we are disobedient in that area of life. So that's what we've talked about to this point. We're going to move on tonight, consider just a few more verses. It's not that I think we tonight necessarily need them personally, but I think at some point, and I think really already we'll be able to look back and say, well, yeah, I could have used this at this point, or I'm glad I knew this some time ago. But I think at some point in the future we'll need this again. And so tonight is probably more of a reminder for most of us, but that's okay. Reminders are beneficial. They are. And so I just want to begin with a quick thought that will hopefully get our minds going, and we will get to the text in just a moment. A couple of months ago, Susie and I got away for our anniversary, and we went down to San Antonio. You'll remember that. Some of you will anyways. And uh, first day that we were there, we wanted to do the, the main attractions. We wanted to do the, 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 the big items that everybody's familiar with in the San Antonio area. And the second day, we wanted to do some things outside of San Antonio proper. And so we got up that morning, and we took off to where we were wanting to go and spend some time there in that uh, neighboring city or neighboring town. And we got done with what we were doing there, and we wanted to go to another smaller town and take in those sites and eat at a restaurant we had eaten at before, but we didn't quite know for sure where we were going. So we got in the car, we typed in the address on our GPS, and the GPS began directing us to where we were supposed to be going. None of it really looked familiar. The GPS was not as clear as I would have liked to have been, or liked for it to have been. And so fairly soon, Susie and I realized we were lost. As a result of being lost, nothing major, nothing severe, but as a result of being lost, here's what happened. We began seeing countryside that we didn't need to see to be happy. You ever done something like that? You just, well, I don't know where we're at. I'm sure we'll get back to where we need to be in a little bit. But we began seeing countryside that we didn't need to see to be happy. We were obviously wasting time. That was okay since we were together, but still we were wanting to get to where we were trying to go. And so we were wasting time seeing country that we didn't need to see to be happy. We were weaving in and out of streets that we had never been on before. And finally, we got back to where we had already been, only to realize, ah, that's what the GPS was saying, turn there. And not only that, there were signs beside the road that said where we were trying to go was this direction, but we totally missed it. And so we got lost for a multitude of reasons. There were many different things that contributed to that. But you understand what it's like to be in a position like I've just described. Again, you've probably been there at some point in life. But this evening, I want us to think about that little story, that little scenario, and then make some, some correlation to life. And here's what I think most of us would admit. That so many for us, we would say that life is kind of like a journey, is it not? Life is like a journey. And as a result of this journey that we are on, there are certain things that we want to experience and there are certain things we want to do, right? We have it mapped out in our minds. I'd like to do this, so I'd like to do this, I'd like to do this, so I'd like to do this. And so we have it mapped out in our minds. This is what I'd like to do and this is what I'd like to accomplish and this is what I'd like to experience and for most of us, if it hasn't happened yet, it will happen at some point in the future. 
But for most of us, one of the things we wanted to do at some point, obviously, was get married. That's why we're married. If you're married and you didn't want to get married and you just accidentally found yourself married, you've got a lot of problems. Most of us got married on purpose, okay? Now, as we've gotten married on purpose, here is what is true of most of us, kind of like with Susie and I, headed to this small little town that we thought we knew where we were going to. When we thought of this journey in life and we wanted to add marriage to the experience and what all it would bring, here is what most of us thought, whether we expressed this or not. We thought we pretty much knew what we were doing. You thought you were ready to get married or you wouldn't have gotten married. You figured, you know, I mean, how hard can this marriage thing be? So we got married. And before long, life was kind of a, I don't know, like a mess. You felt lost. Experiencing things you didn't have to experience in order to be happy. Wasting time sometimes. Or it certainly felt that way anyways, right? And at some point, maybe you asked yourself something like this. How did I get here? Can you identify with that at all or am I just talking to myself tonight? <laughs> I want to get married. I know what I'm doing. Good grief. I'm 20 years old. Most of my life is already gone. How hard can this be? Wow, that's hard. I didn't need to experience that to be happy. This is frustrating. This is irritating. And then maybe, just maybe, by the grace of God, we've gotten someplace in our marriage where we're actually happy and we actually like it. And looking back, we can now see that there were signs all along the way saying, Hey, dummy, do this. Hey, dummy, do this. Hey, you need to do this. You need to do this. But we missed it. Now, I want us to think about this thought tonight because this is where the message is headed. It really is, in so many ways, impossible to know how we got where we're at today. Most of us would just say it like this as it relates to our marriage. It is only by the grace of God that we made it this far. Because truth be told, we had no idea what we were doing. It is only by the grace of God that we've enjoyed 10 years of marriage, 20 years of marriage, 30, 40, whatever it may be for you. It is only by the grace of God. It is amazing what God has done in our lives, so to speak, to get us to this point. Now, I say all that for this reason. If you go back to verse number 1, we're reminded, you don't need to tonight, but if you go back to verse 1, here's what you're reminded of is that Paul is answering questions that the Corinthian believers have presented to him. The subject has been dealing with marriage, and we talked about divorce and remarriage last week, and so now as we come to verse number 12, he says this, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. 
So what we understand in verse number 12 is this, is that Paul is taking them back to his opinion and his position. This is not something that he would have been dogmatic on. This is not something that he could have said, hey, listen, I can take you to the Word of God right here to make my case for this. But Paul was a man who knew the mind of God. And so it would make sense for us this evening to say that if Paul was of this persuasion, it would do us well to at least consider it. And not just say, well, that was just Paul's opinion. Okay, Paul was a man of God who knew the the mind of God and had wisdom from God. And so as he admits that this is him and not the Lord speaking, notice what he said in verse number 12. He said, If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. Now, if you paid attention to what we just read, then here is what you know. You know that Paul is now addressing a marriage. He is now addressing a relationship that involves either a saved husband and a lost wife or a saved wife and a lost husband. And the question seems to be this, based upon a salvation experience in one of their lives after marriage, the question seems to be this, Paul, what do we do now? Again, the implication is, is the man and the woman got married prior to salvation. They got together and they got married and they started their family before they knew anything of Christ, really. And so now one of them has gotten saved, the other has not. So now, in the most technical of terms, they are unequally yoked, which would not be a biblical approach to life. But the The transaction has already been made, so to speak, by getting married. So the question is, Paul, what do we do? So Paul makes it very clear. He makes it very simple for him. Them, he says, If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the same would be true of the ladies. If you're saved and your husband is not, but he's okay with everything as it is, then you don't walk away from him. You don't leave him. And so what Paul is saying to them is if now you are saved, okay, if now you are a child of God, but your spouse is not, if your spouse is okay with things, You don't want to separate, you don't want to divorce, you don't want to to leave or to put away because anyone with common sense knows that would only make your life more miserable. That would make your life more frustrated. And so here is Paul writing to someone who is now saved and has a lost partner And I think that you and I know that that scenario today continues to be played out over and over and over again. Do you know this to be so? Either the husband is saved and the wife is not, or the wife is saved and the man is not. And you look at that and you say, okay, what should happen? Well, you and I should know by now that what should happen is this, is so long as the spouse is good with it, then they need to stay married And for lack of better words, make the best of it. Now again, how all that came about, how God did all that in the life of one and not the other, why one accepted and the other may have rejected, why all that happened, we don't know. 
But in the journey of life for the believers of Corinth and for believers today, as their life has taken turns and twists and detours and everything like that, they now find themselves saved and their marriage partner unsaved. What do we do? You keep it as it is because that is the best scenario. Notice in verse number 14 what he says. He says, you let her not leave him, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. I don't know how many times you've read verse number 14, scratched your head, said, I don't know what that means, and just kept on moving. I've done that on multiple occasions. Because what it seems to indicate would be this, is that because of either a saved husband or a saved wife, that the lost one, whether it be the husband or the wife, they are now sanctified or they are now saved, and the children that are born into this marriage, they are now holy, which would also seem to indicate salvation. But I want to help us tonight, maybe a little bit, better understand this verse. The word sanctified does not necessarily always imply salvation. What it implies is being set apart. Now see, here's what we know, and we wouldn't squabble over this at all, is no one can get saved for anyone else, and we can't make the decision for anyone else. If that were the case, then we would all get saved for everyone we know and people beyond and everybody in the world would be saved and we wouldn't have any concerns or worries. Okay, so that's not what the verse is talking about. So what is he talking about? Well, what Paul seems to be suggesting is this, is that the family is set apart in the eyes of God, not because everyone is saved, because one of them is saved, but because of the salvation of one is present in that home, there are certain blessings and benefits that that family will enjoy because of that one's salvation. I think we would all agree tonight, wouldn't we, that a home is better off with one saved person rather than no saved people? Okay, and so with one saved person in the home, whether it be the husband or the wife, the father or the mother, regardless of who it is, there are certain blessings and there are certain benefits that come to that family because they have been set apart by God or for God because of the testimony of salvation of that one. Now, if you don't like that, then feel free to study it out and come up with a better understanding. But I'm just saying it is not at all talking about the salvation of that one's soul just because the spouse is saved or the parents are saved. So if you follow this, here's what he said. He said, husbands and wives, if you're married to an unbeliever, if your unbelieving spouse is okay with this, if everything is good with you all, then just keep it as it is. Don't change anything. Because your own salvation is going to sanctify the entire house. But notice what he said in verse number 15. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. If the unbelieving depart, let him depart. What does that mean? It means this. 
is that a man or woman could get saved and the spouse may not rejoice in the salvation experience of their husband or wife. And as a result of not rejoicing in the salvation experience of their spouse, so many things could contribute to this and so many things could lead to this. But Paul said it is possible that the unbelieving spouse could depart and if that happens, let them depart. I don't know about you, but this is where it begins to kind of get dicey in the hearts and minds of certain individuals. You might hear people say things like this. You have to fight for your marriage. You have to do this for your marriage. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. And I understand that, humanly speaking, we need to do everything we can to salvage a marriage and to make a marriage work. But Paul allows for the fact that sometimes when a saved person is married to an unsaved person, it is possible that the unsaved person will not tolerate the lifestyle, the beliefs, the positions, whatever you'd like to identify it as, they will not tolerate it and they will move on and go their separate ways. And Paul said, if that happens, let them depart. He said, a brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God hath called us to peace. God hath called us to peace. What does that mean? It means this. God has called us to a life of calm and tranquility. A lack of turbulence. A lack of storm, so to speak. Now keep in mind the context of things. He's talking about marriage, a saved with an unsaved. The unsaved, for whatever reasons, is no longer willing to tolerate the lifestyle of the saved. And now they are departing. Paul says, let them walk. And as they walk, remember this. God has called us to peace. Why is that important? I want to ask you something. How many of us have ever seen a messy divorce? How many of us have ever seen divorces get nasty? How many of us have ever seen children become the subject of the fighting and the controversy and the vindictiveness and the bitterness and everything that goes with it? How many of us have ever seen one of the spouses that is going through the divorce become determined that they will get everything they can? from the one 
they are breaking the relationship with. Have we ever seen that happen? Unfortunately, it happens. And here's what is true, and we know this to be true if we think about this. So many times the ones who are fighting for everything and the ones who are vindictive and the ones who are bitter and the ones who are intensifying the problems, many times, certainly not all the time, but many times the one who is causing so much of the issues is the one who identifies themselves as a Christian in this. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I know, don't get this wrong in your head, I know that if a divorce takes place, that if, if something like that happens, I know that certain needs need to be met. I know that there are certain responsibilities on the parties both involved. I get that, but what I am wanting us to think about this evening is this, is that we live in a culture and we live in a mindset that if a divorce takes place, most people are of the persuasion that I am going to get everything I can out of that individual, and I don't care how rough this is, I don't care how miserable it makes them, I am going to get everything out of that person I can, And Paul said, listen, if this happens, that is not the approach you're supposed to take. We are supposed to be men and women of peace. Now, I say that for this reason. I hope, and I mean this, I hope that tonight there are no marriages on the rock or on the rocks, I should say. I I hope that none of them are near crumbling. I I hope that that's not true of anyone. But I promise you, if God gives us years, we will know people whose marriage is on the rocks. And we will know people whose marriage is about to fall apart. And if we're not careful, you know what our mentality will be? Take him for all he's worth, honey. You get everything out of that sorry son-in-law that you can get out of him. She's been trashed since day one, son. You, you punish her any way you can. We're going to see examples like that because we've already seen examples like this. Surely you have. I said you have and you're just looking at me like, I haven't. Most of us have. And if we're not careful, we fall right into that same mentality, that same attitude, and we want to punish the one who has hurt our baby or hurt our son, or we want to punish the one who hurt our friend's son or our friend's daughter or whatever it may be. And Paul said, listen, if they depart, you let them depart. We're not here to stir things up. You want to keep this peaceful because it's a part of the Christian's testimony. Let's use some basic common sense for just a moment. According to verse number 15, why are they divorcing? They're divorcing because the unsaved person cannot tolerate the lifestyle of the saved person. Now, if that happens, what that should provoke in the heart of the believer is heartache and heartbreak. 
it should bring about brokenness that we were not able to salvage the marriage and we were not able to make it work somehow. It should produce in the heart of the believer a true sense of heartache and heartbreak that the marriage is not going to work out. And so the last thing you want to do is make it that much worse because your testimony is still going to influence the one that is being divorced and separated from in this relationship. And if they have separated because they cannot tolerate the lifestyle, then a bitter, vindictive, angry, whatever kind of a so-called Christian you want to put there, if they make life miserable, that's only driving the lost person further away from the gospel that we would suggest we would want them to receive. It would only reinforce in their minds why they're divorcing that sorry individual. They call themselves a Christian and look at the way they're acting in all of this. But you don't understand. That's my baby. I'm not, hey, I know that I can say this tonight much easier because I have three kids who are not married who have never gone through this, but it does not change the truth of Scripture. It doesn't matter if it's our kids. It doesn't matter if it's our grandkids. It doesn't matter if it's a niece or a nephew or someone that we know and love. It's not family. It does not matter who it is. If they are a Christian by way of testimony, then they must maintain a Christian attitude even in the midst of a divorce. If it gets ugly, it needs to be the lost person who makes it ugly, not the professed believer. So do we understand the flow of this? If you can stay together, stay together. If you can make it work, make it work, because there are going to be blessings available to that family because of the saved one that you would not otherwise enjoy. But if it does not work out, if you cannot make it work, then let them depart. God hath called us to peace. But notice what he said in verse number 16. He said, For what knowest thou, O wife? Whether thou shalt save thy husband, or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? What is he talking about? He's simply talking about you don't know what the end result of this journey is going to be. You don't know what God is going to accomplish in your life with your spouse. You don't know what God is going to produce. You don't know, but it could be that if you'll just handle this properly, if you'll just handle this the way that you're supposed to, it could bring about the salvation of your wife or your husband. He didn't say that this is a guarantee. He didn't say that this is a promise. He didn't say that this absolutely will happen every time. He was fairly clear. He said, for what knowest thou? We don't know, but it could be, honey, that it could lead to his salvation. Or it could be, sir, that it could lead to her salvation. But here is the truth. We all know this, but we sometimes lose sight of it. If you do not behave like a Christian, it certainly will not produce salvation in this relationship. We don't know what the end result is going to be. But in verse number 17, Paul said this, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. 
And so ordain I in all churches. What does that mean? Well, in verse number 17, the last part, he said, So ordain I in all churches. It means I have set this in place. I have put these things in order in every church that I have gone to. I'm telling you the same thing that I have told other people. As God hath distributed. Well, what does that mean? It means this. As God hath allowed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone. Okay, so the Lord has called everyone to do what? To let him walk in the way that he has called him to walk. And what has he called him to walk in? He has called him to walk in a life of peace and a life of obedience. And so as God hath distributed or as God hath directed and guided your steps, whatever position you find yourself in, you live like you're supposed to be living. And you just do what you're supposed to be doing because that is the only thing at the end of the day that you have control over. And Paul said, this is what I tell everyone in every church. Can you hear a man coming to the Apostle Paul saying something like this? Paul, we got married several years ago. And Paul, you know, I mean, we've had some rough times. You know, I wasn't saved and she wasn't saved. And, and you know, a couple of years ago I got saved. And, and Paul, I'm telling you, it's been rough. Well, how's your wife responding to all this? Well, she's okay with it. I mean, you know, she's all right. She doesn't like some of the things that I stand for now and some of the things I'm doing with the kids. But, but you know, overall, she's okay with it. But, it. but it's hard sometimes. Paul would say, hey, listen, if you can make this work, you make it work. He'd say the same thing to a lady who may have come for him for counsel and saying, what do I do about my husband? He would say, listen, if you can make it work, you make it work. But somebody comes to Paul and says, Paul, we just can't make it work. It doesn't seem like anything I do satisfies. It seems like no matter what happens, they're always upset. They're talking about leaving. They're talking about putting away. They're talking about divorce. What happens? Hey, listen, you have no control over them. What you have control over is you. You don't know what God is going to do in this journey. You don't know what God is going to produce. It could produce salvation, but I can't promise you that it will. But it could produce salvation. But here is what you've got to remember. No matter what they do, you have to do what God has called you to do. You have to live right. You have to live peaceably among men. You have to be the Christian you're supposed to be. Now again, you and I probably are not going to go down that road. I'm going to give us the benefit of the doubt anyway. But I am convinced if God gives us years, we're going to know someone whose marriage comes to a termination. The reasons will be many. The excuses will be rampant. So many things will be said, and that's between them. But when that happens, what you and I need to be focused on doing is challenging the person that we have influence with. No matter what they do, you better do what's right.
Does that make sense? We can't afford to get wrapped up in their emotional battle. We can't afford to get wrapped up in their fight. The only thing that we can do is say to them, Hey, listen, you just do what is right because you don't know what God may do in the midst of all this. If you truly want to be reconciled, if you truly want your spouse to get saved, if you truly want this thing to be made right, then here is what I know for sure. I know you must do right and let God work out every detail past that. But that can be hard for us to do, can it not, as observers? We know he's a jerk. We know she's lousy. We know he's no good. We know she's been sorry since the day they got married. We know it. And so it's hard sometimes for us to remind them just do right and not worry about them. We must, like Paul, encourage whoever it is that may be going through the divorce, who may be going through the separation. We must never take sides We must never join forces. We must simply say to those involved, you just do what you've been called to do as a child of God because we have been called to be children of peace and that is what God wants us to do and God will take care of it after that. It's just a reminder but I promise you, we'll need it. We'll need it. And we'll either help the situation or we'll make it worse, depending on how we influence the people who are a part of our lives. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening, Lord, I... I'm thankful for these practical messages that we've had the last few weeks. Lord, it's good for myself, and I believe it's good for all of us to be reminded of what our attitude and what our position may be. If at some point a marriage reaches a point where the parties just say, "We, we can't keep going on like this. God, I pray that you'd help us as the observers, as the onlookers, to always remember that we simply need to challenge people to live right so that you can bless, so that you can honor their actions. God, we don't know where the journey is going to take people. We don't know what you're going to do. But I pray that you'd help us to be willing to step back and let you work in the way that only you can in those times. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.